This is the Discuss Metal Podcast with Toby Wright. Hosted by Dan Terry and Joseph Wren. Presented by DiscussMetal.com. What's going on, everybody? This is the Discuss Metal Podcast, episode two. Hope you guys really liked the first episode. We got some pretty good feedback on that one with Paul Kerr of November's Doom. And uh, this week, we're pulling out all the stops. A couple weeks ago, well, it was a few weeks ago, uh, Joe... It was more like two months ago, dude. (laughs) It was two months ago. It's been flying by. We've been doing too much stuff. I've been too busy, but... Uh, Joe decided that we need a studio remodel. So uh, he did that. But during all of that, we got an email from Toby Wright, who was attending the Rock and Pod Expo down in Nashville, which we unfortunately were not able to attend this year. And uh, he fires us off an email and was like, hey, guys, uh, are you guys here? Uh, you guys are around anywhere? And unfortunately, we were not. I said no, but, you know, we sure would love to talk to you. So uh, Toby was kind enough to uh, sit down with us and have a conversation. But the problem was is that we didn't have a studio. So uh, we did it all on my MacBook. <laughs> Imagine our reaction when the studio is fully dismantled. There is wood on the floor. There's paint drying on the walls. And Toby Wright sends you an email and says, so you guys want to chat or what? Well, we got to do it now. <laughs> yeah, now, now you have to do it. So uh, so we did it. We had a fun conversation with Toby. We talked about his uh, first big break producing a record, which is a really cool story. We talk about his method for listening to songs and kind of getting an idea. I really liked his analogy. Well, it wasn't even an analogy, but he just says, you know, I listen to a song and really... He's like, the process just comes to me. He's like, I hear the song, and the song tells me what it needs. And uh, just always, always really inspirational stuff from Toby. And uh, at, at the end, he talks about his, uh, he talks about a, a sleep project that he's working on uh, where you can listen to different sounds and frequencies in your sleep, and it's supposed to relieve stress and all that. We will have links to all of that in our show notes. And uh, yeah, I mean, we'll let you guys hear for yourself. Uh, it's, it's always an inspirational time with Toby Wright. Toby? Yes, it is. Hey, Toby. How's it going? This is Dan with Discography Discussion. Hi, Dan. How are you? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing tonight? Pretty good. That's cool. Sorry about all the uh, all the scheduling and uh, <laughs> and, and all oh, that. Oh, that's all right. All week, I was trying to make sure that my wife didn't go into labor, you know, <laughs> right before I promised I was going to do something. All right. All right. Well, that's a hell of a lot more important than getting an interview for me, that's for sure. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's our uh, <laughs> it's 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 one child of many. So I don't I don't know about that. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, one is just as important as the last one. Absolutely. Well, I've got my co-host Joe here with me too. Hey, Toby, what's hey, going Joe? on? How are you? All doing pretty good. I was shocked when you reached out and said you wanted to talk to us. Uh, number one, obviously, it's not every day you get an email from Toby Wright. Also, the studio was under complete remodel. And Dan said, well, can we do this? I said, well, uh, we can do something. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> something. We'll get her done. Well, it's my pleasure, gents. Well, yeah, we'll try not to take up too much of your night. Um, one of the things I wanted to do a little differently uh, than what we did last year at the Rock and Pot Expo, I feel like every time somebody interviews you, it's always like, you worked with this band, you worked with that band, you worked for this band. Um, I kind of want to want to do something a little different in the sense of uh finding out you know what you would consider to be your personal milestones 
have been, you know, like when, when was the first time somebody was like, oh man, we need to get Toby Wright in here right now to fix this. <laughs> oh, well, that would have been three doors, three doors down. That one would have been the old fix it. Um, Cause I guess uh, their manager at the time had a, you know, knew that they, it was their first signing to universal, I guess. Um, and they knew what they had in kryptonite and they just, they thought it might've been on tape. Um, but so I had to, I went in and mixed, I guess, remixed, um, what you hear today as the single. And then they, and then they uh, had me do the whole album. So that was, that was one of the, you know, there's the originally, uh, Bill McGathy sent me in and said, Hey man, just see if we can get something out of this. I think there's a song there, you know, and I sent it back to him a few days later and he went, turn up the guitars. I turned up the guitars. He said, perfect. <laughs> well, that'd be my question. You know, when you hear a song like Kryptonite, which is radio poison, if you're not a fan and the greatest thing ever, if you are a fan, when you hear that and it's not a single, how do you take it from what it is to what we hear every day? For St. Louis, we're listening to 105.7 The Point or KC95, and I guarantee it's going to get played at least three times. Right. And to make, I mean, you know, I, I think you're asking about how do you make the song audio ready, you mean, or musically or both? Well, I guess it'd be both. And it's kind of an unfair question because it's either the recording quality itself or the composition of the song. Right. I don't ever have an answer when somebody plays me something I've never heard. Why my immediate response is you need to change that. You need to put another verse here, put a chorus here, and then all of a sudden you've got what sounds like a single. So what do you do when you hear that song that's not quite there and it needs to be there? Um, if it's in the arrangement, then I strive to change it um, to make it that way, uh, either with you know parts that I've already got recorded or you know have re-record and you know add parts or rewrite the song or you know whatever we need to do to make what's attracting people to that song make it even better right and and finish it out as a full masterpiece so to speak and if it's lacking in recording quality then it depends it depends how bad it is <laughs> <laughs> right you know what i mean if it's just a bad mix then it's just a bad mix and you know usually what i'm finding is a lot of people overuse plugins like crazy and i'll get a you know a song, let's say I, I did one the other day, young engineer did it. There were at least four plugins, three or four plugins on every single channel. And there are about 60 something channels. Oh my goodness. And I was like, Holy smoke. Well, let's start by taking all of these off <laughs> right, <laughs> and see what we have. Then we can go back and then we can kind of go from there. Um, cause you know, that's usually my approach when somebody asks me to mix something that somebody already tried to mix and, you know, didn't hit the mark for whatever reason. Um, you know, just start from ground zero and what do you have, you know, what, what is on tape basically, but these days what, what's on your hard drive, you know, what are the original sounds? Do you think some so of that is ear fatigue just from the process of recording something and you're no. trying to make it sound like what's in your head? No, I think it's lack of experience. Um, you know, when you're in the recording studio and you're plugging in gear because, you know, uh, let's say I need a compressor on this and I need an EQ on that, uh, or, you know, I need an EQ 
compression in this in this chain and I'm going to record it so it's going to go to tape. Um, then later when you mix it, you probably don't need that because you've already, you know, you've already uh, affected it. Um, but you know, then again, it depends on the mix, right? So, you know, if things are recorded fairly properly and by properly, I mean, if you're, you know, just put up the faders and it sounds like a song and it sounds pretty darn good, then you've done your job. And that's, that's what I would call properly. Have you ever run into a situation where, you know, everybody's standing there they're really proud you're listening to it for the first time and you've ever just kind of thrown up your hands like i can't save this um no i i mean save is a interesting word in that sentence because it depends on their level of expectation you know what i mean if they have something that's really poopy and you know they think it's there's a diamond somewhere in there or even a ruby if i'm able to get a rock out of the friggin' thing sometimes people are very happy you know what I mean? So it just depends on the level of, of expectation at that point. You know, and oh god, can you please save my song? <laughs> <laughs> can you can you make it good? Can you make it good? Please, please, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, just and then and then even that's an opinion. So it's like you know, if the the manager's making the call or the artist is making the call, it just depends on who's making the call and, and all that kind of stuff. You know. Well, and I guess and that mixed for radio, that's completely different to me. Yeah. And I know? guess that the, the idea of opinions is what is what's the most interesting thing um, with, you know, with what you do. Uh, I, I guess my question is, where does the transition happen where you go from basically doing a job for somebody like mixing um, to going into full on producing where your opinion actually um, because beyond what, beyond the way it is for most people, you know, record producing and mixing is, is an industry where your opinion actually does matter. And, uh, I guess, uh, I guess what was that transition like for you, um, you know, in the early days, as far as going from, you know, mixing predominantly to getting, getting more producer roles? I kind of did it the other way around. I was doing a lot of maintenance and repairing of consoles and, you know, just building studios and stuff like that. And then one day this band called Brighton Rock out of Canada came in to do some demos and the engineer didn't show up. And the manager said, Hey man, uh, our engineer is nowhere to be found. Do, do, can you record this? And I was like, sure. And I recorded, I don't know, four or five songs with them that weekend. And they came to me and said, the manager actually said, these are the best sounding demos I've ever heard. Would you like to produce the record? So my first record, and at that point I was still assistant engineering for Ron Nevison and doing, you know, his engineering and stuff like that. Um, so it was like I jumped from assistant engineer with one of the best producers in the world to production immediately. And then, um, you know, and then I, I did that record and then came back and, you know, went right back to assisting and engineering and, you know, doing all that stuff. Um, and then later on, um, you know, after I, after Alice called and I did a bunch of records with them, then mixing started to happen, you know, just like straight mixing of records. And I probably mixed for a year or two straight, maybe did one or two productions in that year, you know, but just primarily mixed. So that was kind of a big jump for you then as far as, uh, you should, you basically just show up to do a job one day and before you know it, you're sitting behind the console. <laughs> like, uh, exactly. I was, yeah. I mean, I was actually repairing a tape machine. Um, when the guy wandered in the room and, Hey, uh, are you the man? Yeah, I'm Toby. Yeah. Steve, nice to meet you. Okay, cool. Hey, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. 
<laughs> I was like, sure. Okay. Hold on. Let me put away my tools. I'll come in there. So when they ask you, you to know, produce the so. record, uh, how long did it take you to say yes? Was it just like a no brainer or? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I said I said yes pretty much right away because um, I liked the band a lot and uh, we had a lot of fun and you know when we were doing the demos and so I was like why not go up to you know, where did we do that in Toronto I think um, at uh, Tri- at Gill's studio at the Triumph studio whatever, whatever, I forget what it's called phase one is that what it's called uh, I don't remember Anyway, anyway, it was, was Gil, the, the drummer for uh, Triumph Studio. When you're going into a project like that, for me, recording is different from performing. And one of my biggest challenges is trying to record my own stuff. I almost always have to call somebody to come sit and listen to me, make sure I'm getting the take right, making sure everything syncs up. And I have a hard time trusting myself. Could you sit down today right. and produce Toby Wright's own music, or do you need help with that? I actually have a partner, and we write and produce a lot of music together. Um, and I found the same thing. I don't think it's very uh, smart for an artist to produce themselves. Um, you know, you need another ear in there. And, you know, if not for help of pushing buttons and QCing your performance, then, you know, maybe help with creativity and, you know, let's, let's take a chance here and let's not here. And, you know, just little suggestions sometimes make the big difference. Is there a record that you would not make in 2019? Some individuals can sit down with just a laptop, like you said, and record an entire record and use plugins positively to enhance the sound when necessary. I've read a few places where some engineers won't touch a mix if they don't have a console under their hands. Is there a record or recording that you cannot do or would not do because you don't have all your tools or because you feel like you don't have all your tools? No. (laughs) That's one reason I came up through the maintenance department. Um, because I, you know, uh, what, what happened was I was working at electric lady studios in New York, um, and where I started and up on the third floor was studio C. It was, you know, a little overdub room basically, um, and a mixing suite. And, um, the, I think the stones were up there and they had a little problem. There was no sound coming out of the console all of a sudden. So they called up the maintenance guy, he came up and he hit one button and then, proceeded to take the kid out by his ear and he'd scream at him in the hallway. And I heard it three floors down. And I decided that at at that moment that I didn't want to be that guy. So I joined the maintenance. That was the maintenance guy. Uh, His name was Sal Greco. He, I joined his team. And so I stayed in maintenance, you know, for the next probably 10 years, um, learning from him and then, you know, going out to LA and building studios and stuff, like I said earlier. Um, But, yeah, that's one reason like I did that so that I would never be that guy that didn't recognize that button or know how to operate a piece of gear. And, you know, if you can fix it, you can definitely know how to operate it. Um, and, you know, I wanted to, so I've done a lot of recordings, field recordings and all kinds of stuff where you just had a little certain something, something to work with and you make it work, you know, because it's all about the moment. And if you capture that moment, that is that moment, period. No matter how you capture it, it doesn't matter. It's captured. 
Well, and speaking of, uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, that's okay. I say, speaking of moments uh, captured, is there ever, you know, I mean, just looking at looking at your, you know, discography recordings you've been involved in, is there a certain sense of being able to predict what a what a certain change is? Like, are you able to predict? I guess whether somebody is playing something that is not going to go over well radio wise, as far as um, just because of like changing styles. You know, like a band like, uh, like a, for example, like a band like Corn, if they had come out in 2007 playing exactly w- what they were playing back in, you know, 1998, you know, it probably wouldn't have uh, hit as hard or, you know, made as much of an impression. Yeah, no, I understand. Um, I don't know. I think that was a question. Am I able to spot that kind of stuff? Yeah, yeah. Um, sometimes. You know, sometimes songs surprise me. Um, you know, I can I can pretty much pick one. I can feel it. Um, you know, when they're going down, and usually when you know after a singer delivers their their amazing performance, that's when I usually feel it the most. Um, you know, some you just know when this is a good song or this one isn't so good. You know, <laughs> sure. Um, you know, and as far as like going different genres and things like that it's you know it's i think a good song can be just be like with an acoustic guitar or a piano and a vocal and you get the song that those are songs that you know are going to be pretty popular no matter the instrumentation or orchestration on it it can it the song comes out you know what i mean yeah the song either has it or it doesn't yeah it does and you can you know i've learned to recognize that over the years is there a different strategy for a remix or do you see every mix as a new production? I know you did some mixing for uh, mushroom head when double X, when they first got picked up by universal and most of right. those songs and actually all those songs were previously released on independent albums and Correct. we listened to Double X. That was how we heard Mushroom Head because we were nowhere near the band when they were a local sensation. And going back right. and listening to like Super Buick, which I really like, it's audibly different, not bad or good, but you can tell that Double X had a different set of hands on it than what all the independent releases had. So did you right. interpret the mix differently or was it a situation where they came in and said, these are our songs. Can you do everything you do to make them sound as good as possible? Because now we got to go on this national tour. That's, you know, they were re-releasing it for universal. So it's, you know, the expectation is higher. Um, and if I remember correctly, they wanted the record company wanted it to sound like a cohesive one cohesive new performance, even though, you know, like they had redone it or something, even though I was using the same recordings. Um, so it was interesting, you know, because every, most of those songs, I remember they're in batches. Um, and they sounded a lot different than the other, than, you know, the batches sounded a lot different than each other. So that was a challenge to try and find the middle ground, right? Where are all these songs going to sound cohesive together? And so I, you know, took a little time and went through all of them and figured, tried to figure that out and came up with what you hear. 
<laughs> is that a sequencing decision first, or is that a individual mixing strategy? I'm going to mix Blomp first, and now I'm going to do my best to make Save Your Sorrow sound exactly like Blomp. Um, no, it, you know, I, I studied all the tracks first and figured that this lump over here uh, to the left was, you know, needed this kind of a treatment. And this one over here, if I treated, you know, this one in the middle, if I treated that one as, you know, let's say that was my interpretation of the, the best or the closest that, you know, it was, that it could be. Right. Then the one on the left, which was lesser than that, what I had to do to bring that to that quality. Right. And then the one on the right had other problems. So what, what I had to do that to bring that to that middle quality and try and get those all, you know, so I jumped around according to the batches. You know what I mean? Right. That leads me to my next question. Is there something that you do first before you even listen to a song? Or do you listen to it first and then treat it as necessary? I know some engineers will always cut below 80 hertz, or they'll send an assistant in to do an initial mix before they even go in and listen to it. Um, do you have a similar process, or do you always listen first and then make changes as needed? Yes. <laughs> listen first, always. Um because what am I changing? What am I going for? What am I supposed to be doing? What what if I just go in there and put up the faders and start on the drums? I don't even know what's going on in the song. So, you know, then why would you do it that way? Uh, I always just, you know, when I'm doing a mix and I'm in the studio or even I'm just, you know, in Pro Tools, just bring up all the faders. Get a nice balance with nothing on it. No EQ, no nothing. Let the song sit there and talk to you. All right, what do you need, song? You know, song goes, hey, I want some reverb on the vocals. I need a big, fat kick drum. I need a snare that's just popping. Okay, cool. I need some background vocals. Uh, right, you know, uh, I, I need something, something. And it, and it just, you know, like literally, like not literally, but um, figuratively, they do talk to me. You know, it's like, okay, doing this, doing that. You know, when I was mixing the uh, Corrosion Conformity Deliverance record, um, there's a song in there called Clean My Wounds that I just sat there and I was like, man, this song could be so much better. What do I, what does it need? Damn it. And I walked around the room and I just let the con, let it play for, let it loop for, you know, however long it took me. And I walked around the console, walked around the console and finally went, Ooh, Robert Palmer drums. <laughs> oh, so big gated room, right? So I set that up on the console cause it's, you know, that's how we did it back in the day when we were running tape um, and just, you know, triggered all that stuff and so on and so forth and came up with that sound, you know, and that was, that was the song talking to me. I was like, it needs something to pop better, you know? So there's no, uh, you know, whenever, you know, we'd already talked about this earlier, but the, uh, what you're saying is that the song basically is the, uh, is the whole presentation. So the next question I ask you might be null and void just because you already said that. But uh, okay. with all the uh, with all the different types of music out and, and with with trends changing all the time, is there ever a style of music that you heard initially or a band you heard initially that you're like, oh, I, I would never work on anything like this, and then found yourself working on it uh, years later? Um, no, because I love all kinds of music, um, and I, I I think there's bad music and there's good music, and those are the only two categories for me. Um, it just depends on my mood. 
So, you know, being raised in, in the environment I was raised in, you know, bred all kinds of different music, you know, being thrown at you from opera and theater to jazz and saxophone solos and all kinds of crazy stuff, um, you know, just <laughs> amazingly crazy. And then, you know, lots of rock and roll, you know, so I got to know, you know, all all kinds of stuff really early. And I think that's really helped me in the long run because I'm not, I can mix I can mix anything, you know, that's easy. Production is a little bit deeper um, because you have to know these days, especially you have to know the genre a little bit better, you know, than the next guy. Sure. Or, or equally as well. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, I can definitely understand that. I mean, it's a, it's a huge testament to, to what you do anyway, because like Joe and I are, we, we review music, we criticize music, but we never take that next step you know, where we actually offer something constructive, you know, on it. Oh, um, well, that's the key, though. You know, that's the key because you can, criti- anybody can criticize anything all day long. Yeah, so. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, it's just an opinion, and that's okay. Right. Um, but if you have some constructive criticism, that's always the best to help somebody out, you know, especially artists when they're crafting. You know, like, oh, maybe we should say, you know, blah, 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 instead of blah, blah, blah. You right. know, or whatever, you know, um, and, you know, whether it's, oh, man, you need a better snare sound or, you know, what, whatever it, it is that irks you about an artist's music that you think would help them with the masses, then that's, you know, that's a wonderful thing, I think, to bring forward. And it always, it's always dependent on how you bring it forward, too. Sure. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? You got to be constructive in your tone of voice as well as in your delivery, Talking about how you bring it forward, is there a mainstream trend you have detested in your career where you went through the process, you mix the song, everything sounds the way you think it should, but then somebody comes in and says, I need that to be 10 dB higher. Can you do that for me, Toby? <laughs> is there something that you've detested? Because I like what do you mean, all the volume styles. Wars? <laughs> oh, volume wars were a good example, but even some people right. won't listen to songs recorded in the '80s because of the digital snare drum. Because for some reason, it sounds robotic, even though it was kind of a trend, but it was also an aesthetic choice and a technology choice. Uh, digital recording oh, yeah, that, was I mean, taken that's off. When we, that's when. Yeah, I mean the late '80s, you know. Still, I got I got the first pro one of the first Pro Tools rigs um, in 1993, um, and I was doing a little beta testing for them, and um, in the studio, and they were 16 bit at the time, and and it was like, uh, no, this isn't going to work. I can tell the difference between the computer and the tape and the live drums. Like I I recorded live to both formats. And, you know, I flip back and forth between live tape and and Pro Tools and the computer, and I could tell the difference. And I was like, eh, you got to do better. And they bumped it up to 24-bit, and I couldn't tell the difference. I was like, oh, okay. So back then, all we had was sampling, too, right? Like, you talk about the, the digital snare sound. It's just, it's it's snares that, like, I worked at a place called One-on-One Studios. It was a huge room, so we did a lot of drum tracking and consequently a lot of snare sampling and kick sampling, tom sampling, so on and so forth. So my sample library is like, you know, huge. 
because of that. Um, but, you know, back then, you know, you had a few machines that would sample and trigger and, you know, it was like, whoa, dude, we can change this. This is awesome. So, you know, when you get a new toy, what do you do? You play with it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what we all did, right? Because it was new toys. And so to detest um, the volume wars and the compression stuff, that's that's the only thing I think just kind of didn't kill anything, just made it un- more unpleasant to listen to. Um, you know, I like dynamics. I like a fullness in my songs. I like 60 hertz. You know, I like 10K. Don't be MP3 and me and cutting all that stuff off. You know, it's just like, well, yeah, it, it, it became, <laughs> there, there came a time where there was no reason to have a good stereo at home. You know, there is, there still isn't. <laughs> well, not unless necessarily. You out, you know, unless you search out audiophile recordings and waves and, you know, high, high end stuff. You can't just listen to the radio or iTunes and expect for it to be that, you know what I mean? Sure. But it's not. No, no streaming service is no streaming service is worth it either. They all stream MP3s. Right. Yeah. You no, I've been I mean? doing all right with a home stereo setup. Just two speakers, a mixer, and uh, just a nice turntable has been. Uh, so they, somebody's Perfect. got it, got it in their idea now to where they uh, got it in their head now where they're actually releasing dynamic range recordings which is a kind of a dumb reason to charge somebody an extra 10 bucks you know for a record but <laughs> you know whatever we're, like, we're gonna for give it to compression. you yeah for 10 more dollars you can hear it not sound like shit yeah right right ta-da premiere or primo or some kind of supreme some kind of hd sound right <laughs> Well, and with the, with the uh, with the kind of more recent rise in vinyl, I mean, I know for some people it never went away. Um, right? Do you think that that's something that is? Uh, I, I guess were you were you surprised at all to see that there was more of a trend towards people wanting to collect that physical media again once kind of CDs went out the window? Um, um, that people went to vinyl I was, after that. I, I was afraid for the media. Um, you know, because I, I, I love tape. I just love it. Um, it sounds amazing. Um, it's bulky to handle. It costs a lot of money now. Um, you know, but it has, it definitely has superior, uh, music capturing abilities than digital. You know, people show me a graph and say, man, I got this digital converter. It goes from zero to light. (laughs) It's like, yeah. What does that have to do with hearing? <laughs> right. <laughs> what does that have to do with music? Like nothing. So, you know, oh, you can capture, you know, some kind of something out to 200K. Wow. I don't think I want to hear the crickets farting. Right. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, on all the instruments that we know of that we can hear, you know, are all well within our hearing range. So, you know, I, I think personally that it's a wonderful thing to have vinyl back. Um, you know, it, some of it doesn't sound as good as like the originals. Um, cause I have a nice vinyl collection myself. Um, and you know, that's okay because it's there. I don't know if they're like pressing MP3s or what's going on, but you know, it's like they don't have, they're cramming more music. They're trying to cram more music into that, into that space too, which I think is limiting, the bandwidth. Yeah, no, you're you know right. I mean, I mean? Like they're, 
they're chopping off that 40 hertz. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, boom, gone. Because <laughs> that, you know, the needle skip all the way across and back, dude. You have one groove on the whole record. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah, it's funny because, like, you're right, though, because there are a lot of, um, there's a lot of vinyl I've got. I'll be like, oh, I didn't know they pressed this, you know, and then I'll go and listen to it and I'll be all like, they just, basically took some mp3s and pressed them onto you know a record and right. listening to it and, and my sound system doesn't lie it's used to listening it's used to playing dynamic you know full sounding records and then you throw something on like right. that and you're like oh what the hell i could have just streamed this and not paid any money for it but exactly. because it's exactly. because it's nirvana's Nevermind or whatever they know i'm gonna buy it as soon as i see it you know right right crazy <laughs> it is crazy well and a lot of it too is just the aesthetic of having a physical product in your hands um i think is something that a lot of us you know because when when me and joe were growing up it was all cds you know cds was the was was okay. the main thing and a little, we had we had cassettes before that but uh you know the thing about vinyl that's so funny about it is that um we're all collecting it now because we're like holy shit we've been getting ripped off all these years getting this little tiny artwork getting you know right and and you right. know with some of these album covers are so cool i mean sometimes sometimes i've been guilty of buying two copies of a record and then framing one of them on the wall just because the right. uh exactly artwork is so good i've done that myself kind of in wrapping up uh i wanted to see if uh there was anything going on with you that you wanted to um that you wanted to promote or get out there uh for people to for people to check out well i'm involved in a uh uh, a couple things right now. Uh, one is a, for lack of a better term, a sound healing um, business. I've been doing that for a long time, uh, researching it, developing it. Um, I think it's going to hit the internet here in, you know, the next couple months. Um, it's a, pardon me, I'm chewing a tomato. Um, <laughs> it's a, um, it's something I call tomes. Um, which is T-A-U-M-M-H-O-M-S, and you can find that at tomes.com. Um, and it, what it is, it'll help you sleep. It'll revitalize you in your sleep. It'll give you energy. Um, you can take care of anxiety and depression, um, lessen them. And, you know, you use it as you sleep. It's not music. Um, it's a, I call it a tonality uh, because I, it's a, basically it's, complex um, conglomeration of frequencies, different frequencies um, that resonate in your body. So it helps you in a lot of different ways. Um, it has a lot of different potential out there in the world, but we're, we're kind of just jumping into the sleep aspect of, of life because everybody has to sleep. And, you know, if you are not sleeping well, well, that's that you might want to check that out um, because it's, it's it's definitely everybody that I've given it to who told me, you know, I've got, you know, you can imagine I've got tons of friends on the road, um, you know, just all kinds of different people in my life. And, you know, some of them, oh, man, I'm so tired. I've been working my ass off this, that, and the other. And I can't sleep. I sit there and I just count the freaking bumps on the ceiling. And it's like, oh, try this. And I'm like, dude, I slept so good. Like for the past week, I've been using this and I can't. It's amazing. How do you do this? So yeah, that's awesome. It's you know, yeah, you guys have to check it out. It's you know, it, it can be sign me up disease as well, 
or go to tomes.com and sign yourself up. Right now, you can do that. Um, okay, yeah, I might do that. I don't sleep well. <laughs> yeah, if you go to um, tobywrightmusic.com, um, I just got that site back up. Um, and I don't know if it's working on the mobile yet, but if you go on the computer for sure, uh, there I have a little tab there that says Tomes, um, and you can click on the big, huge logo, um, and that will take you to Tomes.com, where you can then give us your email address, and we will um, send you an email when the site comes up, and we will have a seven-day free uh, trial because it's going to be a subscription streaming service. Very cool. And, yes, I'll be streaming Waves. Oh, there you go. I was just going to ask. I was not like, MP3. I was going to say, you're not going to give me some shitty MP3s. I'll be like, I slept kind of good, but not as good as I feel like I could. Let me put it to you this way. I have about uh, a terabyte of uh, audio up on uh, Amazon Web Services right now, ready to be listened to. So it's all waves, um, you know, and, and you can tailor your sleeping experience from uh, a half an hour to 12 hours. And, you know, if you pick... I have, you know, different categories um, of, you know, how deep you want to sleep. Um, and then there's like rain and waterfall and ocean and like lapping waves and, you know, re, um, revitalizing type of sounds that humans relax with or that naturally, naturally relax us. Um, and then there's the tonality under it. And then I have the tonality by itself in case you just wanted to hear that. Very and cool. that's the one I use because it's the most effective. Yeah, I'll definitely have to check that out because I definitely don't sleep as well as I could. And uh, I thought it was just because I had that, kids, but yeah. It, well, no, it'll help your kids. It'll help anything with a heartbeat. And I say that and I say that proudly because uh, it's worked on my dogs. Um, you know, whenever I put it on, they come in and lay down. They're out. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Um, yeah, and little kids as well. Um, you know, just moms of babies and, you know, um, you know, stuff like that. It's, it's really going, it should, you know, it, it, I shouldn't say should, I know it helps. You know, I've had, I've had moms play it to their fetus, um, in the womb, um, you know, like on a little, what they call them, pregophone or whatever. Yeah. She yeah. Up some headphones or whatever, um, to her stomach and, you know, she said the baby was like all agitated and kicking and she held it up and she played it for like 10 minutes out like a light. Oh, wow. It calmed down. Didn't, didn't kick for a while. I'm like, okay, cool. This works. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, cool. So, my, my wife, don't be afraid to play it for your kids too. Yeah. Yeah. That way they don't have to, they don't have to fall asleep listening to Slayer records. <laughs> yeah. Like I have, a, I have a little bit of a hard time with blood and rain in my pillow. Right. I know it's messed or up. Rain and blood rather. Yeah. <laughs> well, very cool. We'll, uh, we'll make sure to throw a link up to the website, uh, on the, uh, on the show notes for this, whenever it posts and I'll, uh, I'll let you know yes, when the interview uh, gets edited and thrown out and thrown up there and everything. And, uh, yeah, I'm all, I'm also um involved in a company called F3 uh Entertainment which is we handle film movies and uh you know a few a few record artists uh, recording artists namely uh, the band that I'm in um and a couple of other artists we're developing and we're trying to get some stuff going on so look for some of that and I'm still producing and mixing and you know you can find me at tobyrightmusic.com Sweet. You haven't heard the last of Toby Wright. <laughs> He's the right Never. man for the job. <laughs> oh, boy. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, know, right? Appreciate it. Thank you guys very much. Yep. Thank you. Have a good night. All right. Have Thanks, a good Toby. night. Thanks. Bye-bye.
Holy shit, dude. <laughs> this was actually the first time that we uh, were passing the mic back and forth. We haven't done that since Rockin' Pod. It was definitely a challenge and a shot in my pride, I'm going to say, when we had to do this interview with one of the definitive producers in my eyes, and I'm sitting there worrying about the sound quality. We're passing the mic back and forth. I just keep telling myself, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. And then Toby says, there's nothing that's going to stop me from doing a project right now. So I took some inspiration from that. This wasn't my normal recording gig. This wasn't the normal quality or the normal sound. I shouldn't say quality. It's more of a sound. But it was fucking great because it was a conversation with Toby Wright. It was a lot of fun. We got a little bit more out of him than we did last time, and I really loved that about it. Uh, I just love doing this uh, doing this podcast, the Discuss Metal thing, because it's uh, we're able to kind of dig a little bit deeper into things and kind of expand and, um, and and talk about things that don't necessarily fit in the format of discography discussion. So the, these are fun. There are more of them coming. Uh, so you guys can be expecting to see Discuss Metal in your feed uh, as quick as we can get them out. That is it for the second episode of the Discuss Metal podcast. We really love doing these. If you guys want to tell us how you feel about them, make sure to reach out to us everywhere you reach out to Discography Discussion, including Facebook, Twitter, Discord, email. You can get a hold of us any way you want to get a hold of us. And uh, you guys can look forward to getting these as quickly as we can get them to you. Man, man.